0: Well, this is the festive time of the year to go inside EMS. I got to tell you, everyone, we are getting very, very close to the jolly time of the year. And Medtronic is the proud sponsor of this Inside EMS podcast. Every emergency call brings a new opportunity to make a difference. Learn how capnography monitoring from Medtronic can help at Medtronic.com EMS. And I talk about the jolly time of the year, and nobody is more jolly than my partner, Kelly Grayson, KG. Or are you doing this festive festive
1: time of the year not not jolly today oh I, my uh, goodness I what's going on down there a, i have girlfriend. an algebra I have uh, an algebra final in about two hours so the I'm achilles sitting in hotel here room. That's the grace yeah. of Achilles heel, isn't it? That's right. That's why they're not that's why you're not talking to Dr. Grayson because calculus 1 2 falls out of 3. This oh, time I'll just be happy with the passing score on my final exam in college algebra. That's second math. Right.
0: What do you need? What do you need a 60 to get a D? Is that what it no, is? No, no, no.
1: Actually, you you have to pass this class with a C or better. So you have to make a 70 or better. Oh my god. But, you know, with the with the help of a good tutor and, and a lot of work, I finally learned how to study smart instead okay. of study hard, yeah. which nice. is something I preach to my students, and, and uh, my grades have come up pretty significantly. So I, I feel kind of good about it, but um, good, good. we'll see.
0: Well, i got to tell you, in all the job interviews I've ever went to, no one ever asked me what my grade point average was, so let's just keep that as a reminder. Uh, but number two, I think that it's great that, you know, I know that you were, you know, worried about this going in, and you mentioned before that math was the Achilles heel. And uh, But I think you said a couple things just really quick there in the introduction that uh, st- good study practices, you know, the help yeah. of a tutor, and, uh, you know, it got you through. And I think that one, you know, I think, you know, a lot of people use that uh, or, or don't think about uh, changing their study habits or getting a tutor because they feel that it's a... Um, uh, a little bit of a crutch but I think when we're done with this and, and maybe one of the shows we hit in the new year is this topic because you know when we go back into paramedic school maybe it's you know right after high school maybe it's been a couple years since we've studied we may have to change our practices and I think you know what you just admitted to is, is a really really great uh you know shows really really great growth that you had to really kind of change your practice to get through this challenge.
1: Yeah, I, I um, said I i worked, I always work hard at math, and the problem is, is I don't have an issue understanding the concepts. Uh, my issue is that that I lack the the discipline to to check my work thoroughly or not make a, a careless error. And you know, I, I ten, twelve, fifteen points on my first couple of exams. Each just with careless errors. I just, you know, I, I rediscovered for myself something I, I tell my students is, uh, is, you know, you know, the only cure for not making those careless errors is, is material and, and ease with it. Uh, and, and now that I'm studying a little smarter and and uh, I'm more confident with the material, and I don't have to struggle to remember things, um, I catch catch those careless errors I've been making. So, fingers crossed. We we hope we'll uh, we'll do well. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you an update.
0: Yeah, I think that would be awesome. Now, one of the things that I think this transitions well into our topic today, and, you know, we we try to keep things as as evergreen as we can so that the shows are going to be... Uh, mm-hmm. useful you know two or three years down the road where we're not talking about specifics and you know we kind of used to do the news and we've kind of gotten away from that but we take a lot of our topics from the news and there is a great story that's going around right now that talks about you know the you know as you said checking our work to making sure that we don't have these areas. this isn't in the classroom and as ems providers as healthcare providers we've got to make certain that we're doing the best job possible that the work that we do is in it to you for uh you know, to kind of talk about the introduction to this topic, but you know, this, this really goes along the lines of what you say yeah, about checking this, uh, work and not making errors. Uh,
1: this comes out of, uh, out of Nashville, a nurse at Vanderbilt University, uh, Redonda Vaught, uh, killed a patient. Um, no other way to say it. Uh, she, she committed a medication error, uh, that paralyzed and killed 75 year old Charlene Murphy. Uh, and she is being prosecuted criminally for this, which has, has, uh, sets a pretty ominous tone for, for, uh, medical professionals around the country. Now you have to keep in mind that, that, uh, this is, this will only apply to, to Nashville and whatever court system that, that that's in. Um, but, uh, if that's the only precedent that will set, you know, uh, um, uh, my lawyer friends tell me that appellate and and uh and uh, large circuit court uh decisions, you know, set precedent but but not this this local stuff. So criminal charges, dude, uh I, I can understand uh I can understand civil liability and and malpractice, but but criminal charges punishable by jail time and that sort of thing. Uh I don't know how I feel about this, Chris. What do you think?
0: You know, i got to tell you, I mean, I think that we need to pay very, very special attention to this, um, you know, this situation in Tennessee because, you know, we make these mistakes uh, in EMS as well. And if people are going to be charged with murder because of their inability to check their work and, and we don't know the situation and certainly we don't want to point a finger to what's happening down there in tennessee but you know ems needs to follow this very very closely because i think that when we 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 become flippant sometimes with the uh, care that we give or you know we you know to have medication errors and if we make a medication error you know are we bringing it up in the, into the situations that we need to and uh but i think that we should be very very concerned about what's happening here because this could very as easily this could very mm-hmm. have easily been an in, in a paramedic in tennessee uh and not a nurse in tennessee and i think that uh a couple of things that pop into my mind right now is do these you know it, it's different in a hospital because when you go to the pixis or whatever system you're using and you punch your you know, you punch your uh, ID in, and you pull out a mm-hmm. medication, and you happen to pull out the wrong medication. Well, that is going to be registered in that computer system. Yet, when you are um, on a par- when you're on an ambulance and you reach for the wrong medication, you may realize you've reached for the wrong medication and administered it after you're cleaning up. After the patient's inside and you've d- given the wrong medication, but does this keep us now from being honest with our uh, administration to say, yeah. "Oh my God, I gave this instead of this, and uh, I may have caused uh, uh, you know harm to the patient"?
1: Mm-hmm. This yeah, is a very, it's very slippery hugely slope, slippery slope. And, and but but once again, it, this is going to be tried in a county uh, district court, uh, and, and the. The local uh, or the the county DA is prosecuting this, and and you know as we we've, we've been uh, admonished by our, our EMS lawyer friends in the past uh, about other cases that we we really got wrapped around the axle about like the the Good Samaritan case in in uh, uh, in California where the person was successfully prosecuted for for his actions as a Good Samaritan, you know, and, and oh you know everyone said the sky is falling, but really that that ultimately only affects. California. It doesn't set nationwide precedent. Uh, so it's not something that, that, uh, an attorney in Louisiana or or Missouri is going to be able to, uh, to cite. Um, but in this case, I guess that I'm, I'm I'm struggling to find the the motivation behind the criminal prosecution. Now the DA, uh, the DA says that when he presents the entire case, uh, it'll be clear, uh, that it was, it was criminal in nature, uh, I I would guess, and and once again, not a lawyer, uh, but I I would imagine their reasoning is something along the lines of of this, this rises to the level of depraved indifference. This is, you know, that so many egregious, avoidable errors were made that that you can't even chalk this up to to just a, a simple mistake. Um, and that, that any reasonable person would not make these mistakes under any circumstances, and this just proves extreme le- recklessness and, and uh, for, for lack of a better uh, term, depraved indifference on, on her part. And when you think about it, the, the, the facts of the case are this. She took out a medication that she thought was Versed, and it turned out to be Vecuronium. She did not check the medication. Uh, she was in a rush and gave it. And uh, as a result, uh, instead of uh, sedating a patient, she paralyzed the patient and the patient later arrested and died. Now, the question becomes, um, how many other errors compounded on top of this initial medication error uh, resulted in this? Pretty much common practice. uh, I would even say it's standard practice in most hospitals uh, that after you administer a sedative medication, that the patient requires post-sedation monitoring, cardiac monitoring, pulse oximetry, uh, and if not uh, waveform capnography. Um, now, that that's one thing that, that I would be interested in knowing, because as we know that, you know, EMS has kind of been early adopters on waveform capnography, uh, and the hospitals have really lagged well behind uh, EMS in, in understanding and applying the, this useful technology. Uh, and that's one thing that probably could have uh, averted this accident. Um, but at the very least, even with with post sedation monitoring, uh, they should have been able to notice that the patient's uh, respiratory rate and the patient's pulse oximetry was dropping and that sort of thing. And, and uh, as hypoxia set in as it affects your cardiac rhythm were those monitoring parameters being actually assessed you know in many places depending on the the medication and the level uh, the dosing level of the medication many of these sedation protocols require one-on-one bedside monitoring. that if you do things like for example conscious sedation in louisiana if you do conscious sedation in louisiana as a nurse you have to be at bedside you can't leave that room uh until that procedure is over with and the patient is, is able to you know uh, follow their commands and, and whatnot on their own. Uh, that requires one-on-one, constant bedside monitoring. And I can't help but think that if if that sort of uh, thing was was not given, uh, was not provided, uh, that this thing, this kind of thing, could have uh, could have been avoided. So.
0: Yeah, and I think I think one of the things that came to my mind when I read this story, which I, I found very very interesting, was you and I both have given a paralytic in the field. And, you know, we, we do our due diligence mm-hmm. because sometimes it's just the two of us, you know, me and your partner, uh, me and my partner uh, that are getting ready to give this medication. And we are preparing now mm-hmm. to take away the patient's respiratory drive. Um, now, that happens right away. I mean, I cannot count how, I mean, when we think about giving succinylcholine, rocuronium, whatever it is, yeah it doesn't take 10 minutes for this medication to work so if i'm given versed, and i know that they shouldn't have a a, a pause in their respiratory um status and all of a sudden i realize that they're not breathing like they should that's that's happening in the matter of seconds kelly that's
1: you know and and when you give yeah when you give versed usually especially intravenous versed you you notice some the the sedation effect starting to kick in within a couple minutes and probably peaking within five minutes or so And, and and if you gave uh vecuronium which which this nurse did mistakenly um you start to get some fasciculations within about a minute and the patient's pretty darn snowed and not fighting you anymore Uh, at at, at maybe three minutes in and fully paralyzed at five minutes in, you know, and and at the very least, even cardiac monitoring and pulse oximetry. uh, Imagine giving a dose of VEC to an unsedated patient, you know, and and what's that going to do to the patient's heart rate uh, and the patient's blood pressure and everything to be paralyzed without sedation. Well, I really want to kind of
0: talk about the medication error and what we can learn from this. So, uh, certainty in uncertain situations, it's one of the things you need to do your job wherever you are. And it's why Medtronic offers capnography and pulse oximetry monitoring solutions that are designed to give you early insights into your patient's breathing. Act faster and intervene sooner. Find out how at Medtronic.com. Slash EMS and we're talking uh-huh. about capnography and and pulse oximetry in this topic that we're doing today and it's very uh, great it's very it's awesome that we have Medtronic as a sponsor because uh-huh. you know this is a this is one of those situations where yes, um, capnography could have made the difference Kelly but you know let's let's go ahead and think about it from an EMS standpoint you know we talk about the five rights you know we talk about and I and I don't know that in my career as I blossomed into the paramedic I became. Mm-hmm that I was five writing it the whole time but I had my own process and my own process was to look at the drug my own process was to was to show the drug to my partner and say I am going to give five point five milligrams of this drug this drug is and the expiration date is good Let me go ahead and check the expiration date for me so even though he was an EMT even though she was an EMT I would go okay. ahead and utilize that to ensure that I was right uh I got to tell you in my career I've made some medication errors you know I've made some I've made you know back in the in the days before bu- purple boxes and tan boxes and red boxes we used to have to pull those up in vials and we used to have to uh you know fill syringes and we used to have to you know figure out the you know amount that we were given based on the concentration and uh, I've made a couple medication errors in my career because I made the wrong calculation um, but now, when we think about this from an EMS standpoint, Kelly, and and the new world that we're in, that we don't have to mix drips, um, we don't have to mix uh, infusion drips, we don't have to uh, pull up, uh, vi- um, we don't have to take vials and put them into syringes and give that uh, drug-calculated dose. But what can we learn from this now? I mean, how do we take what we're learning from what's happening in Tennessee and uh, the, ensure the that it doesn't happen in the back of someone's it ambulance?
1: Is complacency kills. Uh, if you think that you have a handle on things, um, uh, the mistake you make may cost someone their life. And and in this case, uh, I'm sure she felt confident in her in her practices and 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 didn't follow through with the things that that she knew since nursing school to do. You know, Chris, when when we it, it's a fairly rare thing for a medical professional to make an honest mistake that anyone could have made uh, in those situations. More often, these medical malpractice cases hinge on something that you knew better than to do from the early days of your education, and you just ignored it or got sloppy or, or whatever. You know, the, 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 the current controversy about the, the cardiac techs in Rhode Island uh, missing uh, esophageal intubations, and we know how many times have we said, you know, there's no right, sin right
0: right, the, right. In
1: tube in the goose. The right. sin is not recognizing it, and that never should happen, and yet they had capnography, but did not use it quite often, and, and in this case, this woman was, she, she number one, uh, did not follow the, the, drug check, uh, and the, the cross check with, with, uh, another person, which should be standard practice. And then, um, she apparently didn't monitor the patient and, and, and didn't notice that, that, uh, they were at until far too late. Um, that's the sort of thing that cannot happen. And, you know, how many times have we administered a med uh, say, say, a, a Versed or a fentanyl or something, uh, and then put on the capnography cannula afterwards, or then put on the pulse oximeter probe afterwards. Or here, let me go ahead, ma'am, we're going to help you with your, with your, your pain from your hip fracture. Uh, let's get a set of vital signs, start an IV, give this dose of fentanyl, and then we're going to hook you up to the cardiac monitor when we get you in the truck. Uh, I've done that and it's and it's probably not real good practice uh no i won't say probably not real good practice it's not good practice uh it's one of those things that i probably should deal with the tangle of wires and electrodes um because it is safer for the patient that way um but you can't very well say there but for the grace of god go well, let let me but let this me cut particular you. case uh a a huge um, cascade of errors occurred, and that's probably why she's being uh, charged criminally with this, that it wasn't just a simple medication error. Many other errors compounded that, uh, resulted in the patient's death.
0: Well, let's go ahead and touch on this, you know, for for the best practice in EMS, because one of the things that I would I would do as a best practice was, if, if I didn't take your vital signs, yeah. uh, were, they were older than five minutes before I gave a drug, that was going to change this process. Mm-hmm. Uh, fentanyl, you mentioned, morphine, of course, um, yeah. I needed to know what the vital signs were before I gave that medication. Uh, same thing when you give someone a denizen. You're not going to give a denizen if you're not going to put them on a con- cardiac monitor first. The other thing that we need to do, I think, that we mm-hmm. don't do very well is how we document that. So I had a an old paramedic, uh, it was a military guy, uh, talk to me about, because we were given uh, some really heavy narcotics and um, uh, back in the in the military yeah. you know and and doctors weren't around when we were doing this, similar to that of being in the back of the ambulance and he said to me, "When I document, I need to be able to document what was happening before I gave the medication and what happened as soon as I gave the medication meaning did the medication change the process or changed the patient's you know change the patient's, um, uh, you know, yeah. change the patient's um, presentation?" So if I'm supposed to give atropine Mm -hmm. because someone's got a heart rate of 42, and I give them whatever the Mm -hmm. dose, 0.5 or 1 milligram of atropine, and then um, their pulse rate doesn't raise to 60 or whatever it is, and I don't document that, it's, it's like it never worked. But now when we think about it from the medical record standpoint, yeah. I need to know the vital signs yeah. before I give somebody, you know, uh, um, you know, dopamine or, or a fluid bolus or whatever that is because I've got to be able to monitor mm-hmm. that the drug caused this to happen. And, Kelly, i no, got to tell you, we some practice. And, and that's don't that's that we one of the
1: things, out. you know, it's a truism in, in in legally defensible documentation that for every, administ- uh, every intervention administered, there should be a documented response or lack thereof. If, if nothing happened, you need to document that as well as a pertinent negative. Uh, I administered uh, such and such dose of medication without apparent relief of pain uh, or without change in cardiac rhythm or vital signs. Uh, my practice, for example, when I give uh, when I give an analgesic or a sedative. Um, Fentanyl, for example, our, our fentanyl dosing protocols uh, allow us to redose every three minutes uh, up to, a, uh, up to a, a set max dose. So what I'll do, uh, and, and of course, we're required to, to um, uh, document a pain score, uh, uh, at least two pain scores uh, uh, during the patient transport. And well, I've, you know, since I'm titrating fentanyl to pain relief and, and a reduction of, of stated pain by half, uh, I document a pain score on every single vital signs so what I do is is I set my uh, NIBP monitor to check a vital signs uh, check a BP every three minutes uh, and that way as soon as the the machine beeps and tells me that my NIBP has che- has checked another vital sign uh, I know what the patient's heart rate blood pressure spo2 entitled CO2 and everything are at that particular snapshot in time uh, And it's my trigger to ask, okay, how's your pain now? Scale of one to ten. And if it's not any better, or if it's not down, if I haven't reduced it by by at least five, well, then it's time for the next dose of of, uh, fentanyl. Um, You know, I I still I I go back to capnography. Capnography would have, you know, with cardiac monitoring and pulse oximetry, maybe you don't notice a, a problem until the patient has been apneic for a while and hypoxia starts to set in and, and uh, elevate the heart rate and the SpO2 starts to drop. So in a relatively healthy pre-oxygenated patient, you know, you're looking at six to eight minutes. Uh, if they had some pulmonary pathology, cut that in half, you know, four to six minutes, uh, three to four minutes. Um, but with capnography, she would have known right then, right then, with, with as soon as full paralysis set in, She'd have known that her patient was not breathing, you know. And, and Chris, what do we do when we when we paralyze a patient and cannot obtain that advanced airway? We we back them. We back them until, yeah, I mean, the, until the medication back, wears off, gonna... and and it may but take it's... a little while with that. But
0: but, but still, but Kelly. But, Kelly, we're uh-huh. in the hospital, too. I mean, respiratory therapy is right there. Let me add online? another thing. Uh, I think,
1: uh, in the, and, 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 the TBI report on this, this woman also consulted with her unit manager um, about, uh, about the medication. Should she, she scan it into the medical record or not? Now, the, the news story is is unclear about whether she consulted with her unit manager before or after administering the medication. But if she consulted with her unit manager before administering the medication, was told not to scan it into the medical record and then went ahead and gave it, there's more people culpable than just Redonda Uh Her unit manager and, and, and other people at this hospital are, are culpable as well uh, if, if they were involved in that process and didn't take the ne- necessary steps to, to check the medication. So, ugh. Interesting to see how this case is going to turn out. I hope that that it doesn't set a a precedent, at least uh, even locally, for for criminal prosecution. But that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. Do you think that uh, this medical error, uh, based on the information provided in the news stories, uh, does this rise to the level of of criminal uh, negligence? Uh, We'd like to hear your thoughts on the subject at the show at EMS1.com. Let us know if you've had a medical error and, and, and how you learn from it and how you avoid that in the future. For myself and co-host Chris Ciballaro, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week.